You are listening to Mark Hatmaker Rough and Tumble Raconteur. This is a grab bag of old school Western martial arts, resurrected indigenous ways and empirical musings tinged with a heavy dose of respect, admiration, let's call it hero worship, for these hosses of yore. Crew, this is Mark Hatmaker coming to you from the Comancheria. Today's uh, sermon could be called This River Breeds Giants. It's going to be the first in a loose series that we'll be talking about some of the astonishing feats of strength, physical conditioning, and even how some of the unusual fighting styles percolated amongst the rivers of the North American continent. All right, uh, so we're going to begin a tale that's going to take place in northern river country. And along the way, we're going we're gonna to be asked to measure our own scientifically informed conditioning against standard feats of yore. Uh, we will wind up questioning the wisdom of getting big and jacked and peer through yet another door that tells us how myriad fighting styles percolated through the poorest North American continent. Now, keep in mind, we may not hit all of these things in this little short segment, but uh, as we continue on with this series, we'll, we'll get to it. Now, it's going to be quite, quite pivotal to some of the conditioning and some of the fighting styles. Let's know how things intermixed and blended along the way. Now, we shall center our focus right now on the pioneers of the northern rivers that, uh, in what was French Canada. These intrepid men were known as voyageurs. Uh, not all were French, and we'll get to that. And I'm probably pronouncing that a bit wrong, but it's going to be close enough if I just say voyageurs. You know what I'm talking about. Now, those privy to their exploits, uh, Washington Irving among them, you know, of uh, you know, Ichabod Crane fame and such, uh, he noted that their often soul-crushing year-long journeys into the plunging rivers, vast lakes, and seemingly impenetrable backcountry and mountains that made up the Canadian terrain, they're just simply astonishing feats at the time. Keep in mind, it's none of our modern gear either. No GPS, no nothing, not even a good, you know, like Merrill shoe or something like that. This is just, you know, you go out there and... You're a hoss, right? Now, Irving romantically, perhaps rightfully, called them lords of the lakes, Sinbads of the wilderness. And this, keep in mind, this is a point whenever Sinbad was thought of as the Arabian adventurer, not our current uh, uh, comic. So, lords of the lakes, Sinbads of the wilderness is quite high praise. Now, despite the French name, not all voyageurs were French or French-Canadian. There was a large contingent of Scots who settled in early Canada as well, and along tribal lines, many of these Scotsmen bristled at being called voyageurs. They called themselves, themselves Nor'westers, and many being refugees from the border warfare along the Anglo-Scottish border, many of these Nor'westers were former border reavers. Now, those from familiar with border reavers, this was a particularly bellicose bunch with their own culture that hewed closely to an often aggressive code of honor. Now, these former border reavers are the same stock they went on to make up much of the hard and tough backcountry mountain peoples of the southern Appalachians. Now again down the road there's a lot to be learned about armed and unarmed from the the border reavers and we will be covering that in the black box project as well and uh, it was historic for those who are just with a historical bent we'll cover that in podcasts and such but the actual tactics again you got to look at the black box project now this, these podcasts and blog offerings are just for the uh, the mind candy it's got nothing to do with training now, to give us an idea of this Northwestern stance on life, let us look to Forrest Carter's explanation of the code, the mountain code, the river code, or the code of the border reavers. And this is from a novel. It's a work of fiction, but it's backed up. Uh, it pretty much embodies what was going on in the actuality. And we'll, we'll, I'll give you some resources where we can look at the actual side of it as well. But this is from Forrest Carter's novel, The Vengeance Trail of Josie Wills. Yes, that Josie Wills of Eastwood fame. Two fine novels, and Eastwood was going to do both. Going to get around to one, at least so far. Man is still with us. Quite a hoss, huh? So from the novel... Quote, the mountain code. 
The code was as necessary to survival on the lean soil of mountains as it had been on the rock grounds of Scotland and Wales. Clannish people, outside governments erected by people of kindlier land, of wealth, of power, made no allowance for this grabbler. As a man had no coin, his coin was his word, his loyalty, his bond. He was the rebel of establishment born in this environment. To injure one to whom he was obliged was personal. More, it was blasphemy. The code, the religion without catechism, having no chronicler of words to explain, to offer apologia. Bone-deep feuds were the result, war to the knife, seldom if ever over land or money or possession, but injury to the code meant war. Marrowed to the bone, singing in the blood, the code was brought to the mountains of Virginia and Tennessee and the Ozarks of Missouri. Instantaneously, it could change a shy farm boy into a vicious killer, like a sailing hawk quartering its wings in the death dive. It was all puzzling to those who lived within government, cut from cloth to fit their comfort. Only those forced outside the pale could understand. The Indian, Cherokee, Comanche, Apache, the Jew. The unspoken nature of Josie Wells was the clannish code. No common interest of business, politics, land, or profit bound his people to him. It was unseen and therefore stronger than any of these. Rooted in human beings' most powerful urge, preservation. The unyielding, binding thong was loyalty. The trigger was obligation. Unquote. Now, those, are, those are powerful words, and I probably did not do them justice with my recitation of them there. Uh, but we have to keep in mind this marrow deep feeling of obligation and to fight and to fight hard is really what encompasses so much of what we get from rough and tumble and we keep in mind coming through the 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 river country of the northern woods and then we find this same spirit running through the appalachians and as they're saying uh, combining along with with the cherokee uh, we as we push a more to the southwest we've got uh, the comanche coming in of course you're going to have the apache coming in where you're going to have these uh, kindred spirits of uh, do whatever it takes coming together, percolating, mixing together with the ideologies as well as tactically. This is a whole lot of the rough and tumble mindset that comes through this. Again, we're only talking historically here. Tactically, we got to look at the black box volumes, but here we're starting to get a, a, a peek inside this complex interplay of uh, factors. Now, again, that explanation was from fiction, yes, but it sums up a reality, a reality well-documented in a book such as Jim Webb's Born Fighting, How the Scots-Irish Shaped America. Fine book. And uh, also a pretty good book is Jeff Bigger's The United States of Appalachia. Now, there's, again, much more in the fighting lore, culture, tactics, and strategy of these border reavers and the American counterpoints to come in that black box curriculum. And all I can say is just vicious with the capital V. Now, this is not to say the voyagers, the, the French voyagers and French-Canadian voyagers, were not formidable, not at all. We are merely setting the stage for this complex interplay of several hard scrabble, venturesome cultures, commingling in hostile environments, so that we can see what lessons of hardihood, survival, and hands-on can be gleaned. Now, lest we think that the Scots and the French were the only leather-tough beef in the stew, we must also look to bored and bred Americans like Peter Pond, who is a mighty unusual figure, not quite reputable in dealings and disposition, but all acknowledge him as a top-notch riverman, mountaineer, trailblazer almost par excellence, and uh, he's an all-in scuffler as well. And, of course, it goes without saying, uh, there were people living in, the inhos- uh, in this inhospitable land before all of these various interlopers so-called tamed it. And, of course, these are the indigenous peoples, the tribes. And we'll make much ado about these indigenous hosses down the road. But today we're looking at some of these interplays from uh, uh, the former Euro- these former Europeans. Now, how tough with this life? Well, let's start with the rewards of the business. Now, many journeys ended at a stockade called Grand Portage. We'll come back to that name. 
The stockade itself was nestled in rocky hills surrounded by... Now, keep in mind, to, to get here, it's a, a year-long journey to out and back for all the, with all the trapping, okay? Often, much of this is uncharted. There's no support system along the way. Okay, now, the stockade itself was nestled in rocky hills surrounded by a 15-foot-high palisade f- uh, fence. Of the many ro- uh, log-hewn structures within, one was the Canteen Salop. I, I'm probably saying this wrong, but it translates to Harlot's Tavern, where, you know, liquor and native and half-breed women offered their wares. Now, besides the uh, carnal entertainment was music and dance. There was no self-respecting voyager or Northwester would consider himself whole if he could not, you know, dance a jig, you know, saw a fiddle, play a squeeze box, sing a tune, etc. And we got to think about it. this pops up so often in so many of these uh, hard scrabble cultures that people who are participating in music or playing the music or dancing. And I want us to think about that. Compare that with the this participatory joyousness from these violent hard scrabble men with the I don't dance wallflower pretend alphas of today. I mean, uh, a lot of people feel like this is beneath them, where at that time this was considered part and parcel. I mean, these people lived hard and played hard. Now, but as we all know, liquor plus women plus long deprivation plus a hardy stock of folk already prone to risk-taking led to that other form of entertainment, which was fighting. Again, actual tactics to come in the Black Box projects. Suffice to say right now, scuffling was frequent, often, and damned bloody. Okay, now survivors of bouts would often be locked up in what passed for Grand Portage's jail, a sturdy log structure known as, again, I'm going to butcher this French here, pot au bière, or the butter tub. And now in part two of this long series, we'll look at how Grand Portage got its name. And uh, we will offer a sample workday from what these river folk did. So for you can compare that against your hardest uh, wad and you can uh, ask yourself, are you really up to stuff with this? I mean, uh, I'm not. And then we will also offer an old school rationale for why getting strong. Yeah, that's great. That's manna. This is what we all want. We want to be strong. But in the old days, there is a tendency to go, we didn't want big and jack. We got uh, now, since we got pharmaceuticals and we, uh, we see our media depictions, we think big and jacked is the way to go. When then it was more like being svelte and slim and jacked. It's not the same thing at all. And we'll see... Uh, where they saw getting big and jacked was a problem. And we'll come to that as some food for thought for how we might approach our own combat work. And we'll also, well, anyway, there's, there's much, much more to come. You know, readers and dabblers can stick with the blog and podcast, but the doers might want to have a look at the black box warehouse over there at uh, extremeselfprotection.com. Take care of yourself, crew. River runners, tough, tough stuff. Well, if you dig what we just discussed today, uh, I'd like to invite you to like and subscribe to the podcast. Hell, support it if you want. I'm not your dad. Do what you want. And if you're a glutton for punishment, uh, just visit our website, extremeselfprotection.com. You'll find links to the blog, all of our products, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more pages of like musics. Mm-hmm.